So you have a tendency and your love overlanding. You had plans to do it big on the trace and some super glamping. One idea, deep news and reviews, a podcast the first rate and here just for you. You don't have to think about it. Join us and be about it. Something interesting we want to hear about it. Come on, let's talk about it. Welcome to Waypoint Overlands Random Waypoints Podcast. Sponsored by Midland. Communication for every adventure. The industry leader in radio communication technology and innovation for over 50 years. Sponsored by MyMedic. Sponsored by Tembo Tusk. Sponsored by Trail Rated Coffee Company. Always remember, the opinion you follow should be your own. Just consider the things stated here to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Scandinavian people, we are used to being being outdoors and be on our own. And I, I think it's just natural for us and for me it's an important thing and it's, it's part of me. If I feel pressure or anxiety, once I get out in the wild, I, I feel good. I love also to be off-road. For me it's a bit more free feeling. You need to be quite reactive with the, with the terrain. I think it comes from, from my background, where I come from, that I'm used to pretty extreme conditions. Testing and development process is, is a key to a good car. It's the same thing whether it's in Formula 1 testing or off-road vehicle. In my experience, you can either make a good car or a bad car, depending how well the, the testing goes. You need to put the miles in and, and make it bulletproof. Hi, my name is Phil from Waypoint Overland, and you're listening to Random Waypoints. All right, so here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Random Waypoints podcast. We'll be doing an episode every week. So like, share, and subscribe. Hit the notification bell to make sure you don't miss an episode. This week on Waypoints, we highlight a national park that may not be on your radar that maybe you should make as a waypoint on your next journey. And on random lists, I give my top things to do on an overlanding trip in southern Utah. So stay tuned for the whole show. But first, let's take a look at the news. During this segment, we'll cover various topics with a connection to overlanding in some way. It could be land use news regarding the national parks or the Bureau of Land Management. We'll keep you up to date on any auto industry news when it pertains to relevant and potential overlanding vehicles. 
There will be camping and outdoor industry news, as well as photography and video, fishing, hiking, and on and on. Now, here's the news. The destruction of nearly 10% of the country's giant sequoia groves to a 2020 wildfire has the National Park Service proposing to plant sequoia seedlings in areas of Sequoia National Park, California, that sustained the greatest losses. The 2020 Castle Fire burned through 22 giant sequoia groves and burned 9.7% of the entire range of giant sequoias at high severity, according to the Park Service. In order to give sequoias the opportunity to reestablish to a similar density within these century-old groves, the National Park Service is proposing to plant sequoia seedlings in Board Camp Grove as a pilot project in fall 2022. While most of these seedlings would be grown from sequoia tree cones collected from Board Camp and nearby groves, a small number of seedlings from seed collectors held by a U.S. Forestry Service nursery in Placerville, California, would be planted in a select area to test for potential benefits of including drought-adapted sequoia seedlings. The proposed action includes growing sequoia seedlings from collected seed, transporting the seedlings to their remote boarding camp grove via helicopter, and planting 12,000 sequoia seedlings in the fall, just prior to winter precipitation. Given the location, roughly seven miles off trail in remote wilderness, watering and post-planting care is not planned at this time. Seedlings would be monitored for percent of survivorship the following fall, and if deemed successful, the National Park Service would consider planting additional seedlings the following year. The National Park Service anticipates that planting would occur in October 2022 and may occur again in 2023. Some of the largest outdoor companies in the U.S. are making it clear they won't attend Outdoor Retailer, the industry's largest trade show, if it moves back to Utah. This was the subject of a letter sent to Utah's governor by the Conservation Alliance, an organization that includes 270 companies, including REI, the North Face, and Patagonia. The alliance said that unless the state changes its policies toward public lands, its members won't be coming back. We will not support or attend a trade show event in Utah so long as its elected officials continue attacks on national monuments and public land protections, according to statements from the Conservation Alliance. Outdoor Retailer is the largest trade show in the outdoor industry, hosting both, both summer and winter shows. For the $689 billion outdoor industry, these are major events, and for the last five years, they've been hosted in Denver. Prior to Colorado, the outdoor retailer show had been based in Salt Lake City for more than 20 years. That changed in 2017. The size of Bear Ears National Monument was reduced by 85% and the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument by half. The move was the largest national monument reduction in history. Responding to the loss of these public lands, Outdoor Retailer sought another host city for their events, eventually selecting Denver. Now, Outdoor Retailer's contract with Denver is set to expire at the end of 2022. While it may stay in the city, the show's director said there were other possibilities. Anaheim, Las Vegas, Orlando and Salt Lake City were all mentioned as being in the running this past summer. 
In hopes of a show return, Utah's governor cited airport improvements and a new Salt Lake City hotel. The governor also stated the state was working to find ways to manage the national monuments. However, Utah officials have continued to argue against protections for Bear Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante that were restored. It's these continued challenges to public lands that has the Conservation Alliance saying it won't be returning anytime soon. When asked about this possible boycott of Utah, the governor seemed to be conflicted on the subject. At a press conference, Cox said, We did not miss them at all. The governor then said he would welcome the return of Outdoor Retailer. We would love to have you. It would be amazing, said the governor. Or don't. Whatever. It's fine. Production prototypes rolling off the line at Ineos Automotive Hambach plant signaled the final stage in the company's transition from project to automotive manufacturer. Since acquiring Hambach in January 2021, Ineos has invested over 50 million euros in addition to the 470 million euros invested in 2019 by Mercedes-Benz in an all-new production line. The line now dedicated to the Grenadier includes a new fully automated body shop, a new semi-automated paint shop, and an upgraded general assembly facility. Hambach also benefits from a new high-tech quality assessment center. Having just taken 12 months to reconfigure the new line for Grenadier, Ineos is nearing the end of the first production phase. Now, the second phase starts in March to validate the assembly's process and build quality before production of launch series vehicles proves out the supply chain, logistics, and build rate. In parallel, preparations in all commercial parts of the business continue at pace to ensure Ineos is ready for customers. Over 100 sales and service partners around the world have been nominated and contracts have been signed with parts distribution and retail finance partners. Some 15,000 customers worldwide have reserved their Grenadier, said Dirk Heilman, CEO of Ineos Automotive. We want to deliver a vehicle that's ready, and we won't cut corners. With the benefits of the highly skilled and experienced team at Hambach, as well as the expertise and safety and quality that we have employed, we're on target to begin serious production in July. Full pricing and specifications will be announced in April 22, when customers in Europe, Africa, Asia, Pacific, and the Middle East can finalize their orders either directly with Ineos online or via the local retailer. North America will follow later this year. Combining rugged British spirit and design with German engineering rigor, the Grenadier will be a truly uncompromising 4x4 built from the ground up. Engineered to overcome all conditions, it will provide best-in-class off-road capability, durability, and reliability to those who depend on a vehicle as a working tool wherever they are in the world. Anyone who has ever been temporarily blinded by high-beam headlights from an Oncoming car will be happy to hear this. U.S. highway safety regulators are about to allow new high-tech headlights that can automatically tailor beams so they focus on dark areas of the road and don't create glare for oncoming traffic. 
The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says it issued a final rule allowing what's called adaptive driving beam headlights on new vehicles. It will go into effect when published in the Federal Register in the next few days. The headlights, commonly used in Europe, have LED lamps that can focus beams on dark areas such as the driver's lane and areas along the roadside. They also lower the intensity of the light beams if there's oncoming traffic. Camera sensors and computers, they help to determine where the light should go. This final rule will improve safety for pedestrians and bicyclists by making them more visible at night and will help prevent crashes by better illuminating animals and objects in and along the road, the agency said in a news release. The new rule, which was supported by the auto industry, comes as the safety agency grapples with the dramatic rise in traffic deaths nationwide. The number of U.S. traffic deaths surged in the first nine months of 2021 to 31,720, the government reported, keeping up a record pace of increased dangerous driving during the coronavirus pandemic. The estimated figure of people dying in motor vehicle crashes from January to September 2021 was 12% higher than the same period in 2020. That represents the highest percentage increase over a nine-month period since the Transportation Department began recording fatal crash data in 1975. The tally of 31,720 deaths was the highest nine-month figure since 2006. Sam Abilsamid, Principal Mobility Analyst for Guidehouse Research, said the new lights will show up in higher-cost luxury vehicles at first but will spread to more mainstream vehicles as the price of the technology falls. Now it's time for Random Lists. Random Lists is all about lists Waypoint Overland has created on an array of topics, such as top five national parks, top 10 trails in the United States, top 10 fill in the blank. I think you get it. Some lists will be pure fun and others very informational, but they all will have a connection to overlanding in some way. We're very interested in hearing your suggestions for upcoming lists in the comments. Now, here's our random list. This week on Random List, my list is my top things to do on an overlanding trip in southern Utah. So let's get started. First, camp and see the most beautiful sunrise and sunset in the west at Alstrom Point. This is also a great spot for Milky Way photography March through June. Alstrom Point is a place valued dearly by those who are familiar with the views of Glen Canyon. Hudos and other geologic features along the route are a feast for the eyes, even before reaching the main course of Alstrom Point. And the best part, because this place is so remote, the crowds are missing. The drive to Alstrom Point is a great day trip and is accessible by most vehicles, you should plan to you should plan on spending about five to six hours unless you plan to spend the night. Now, under ideal conditions, a regular two wheel drive will get you to the first overlook and a high clearance vehicle will get you to the best overlooks. However, if it's recently rained, 
then even an off-road 4x4 may not be sufficient to get you past the clay and over the washes. There are plenty, there's plenty of camping sites at Austin Point, and very few are usually taken. There are no services in the area, so you'll need to bring everything you need with you. Okay, so the next thing I have for you in Utah is you should explore the markings of Native American history by searching for petroglyphs and pictographs. Utah is known for its natural beauty, but take a closer look and you'll discover that the dusty red sandstone covering much of the state tells a story as well. People lived in this part of the country for thousands of years before European settlement. And you can see signs of these Native American tribes in the petroglyphs and pictographs that they left behind. A road trip is a great way to explore these markings of ancient Native history, in addition to seeing some of the most amazing scenery in the country. You can spend your time hiking among Utah's most beautiful landscapes, while learning about the people who came before us. All right, the next thing I have you should do in southern Utah is you should do some stargazing at the International Dark Sky Association accredited locations in southern Utah. Serene sanctuaries of natural darkness dominate the southern Utah corridor after the sun goes down. Whether you're a first-time traveler or have experienced Red Rock before, pay attention to how it comes alive under a dark night sky. A road trip through southwest Utah takes you through some of Utah's best places to see the Milky Way. Capitol Reef National Park, Kodachrome Basin State Park, Bryce Canyon National Park, and Cedar Breaks National Monument. If visiting in the spring, the road to Cedar Breaks National Monument at 10,000 feet above sea level may still be closed for the winter. Each of these dark sky locations is certified by the International Dark Sky Association. Take advantage of star parties for optimal viewing and ranger-led interpretations to guide you through the night sky. You'll also pass through Utah's first international dark sky community, Torrey, at the gateway to Capitol Reef. The highlight of your trip is the nighttime, and each night, will have you staring at the heavens and filled with awe. If you're planning this trip in the summer, the Milky Way will also be as spectacular as ever. During new moons, the sky will be at its darkest and the stars will really shine in Utah, one of the best places to see the, see the Milky Way. My next thing for you to do when you're in Utah, southern Utah is relax and take a soak at night at Mystic Hot Springs. Mystic Hot Springs has become more popular over the past few years thanks to social media. There are hot springs in the middle of nowhere in Utah where you actually get to soak in bathtubs. Over 100 years ago, the Mormon pioneers actually came across the hot springs when they were settling in Salt Lake City. They found the hot springs surrounded by mineral deposits and built the first pool there. Then, over a century later, a musician driving home from Las Vegas came across the hot springs and was immediately drawn in by them. He was happy to discover that he could buy the property. At the time, there was only one log cabin. Well, he wanted more people to be able to stay overnight. So over the years, 
He has collected pioneer log cabins and vintage buses to add to the property. It's one of those fun and corny experiences that you'll want to add to your southern Utah road trip. And last but not least, things to do in southern Utah. Do the Big Five Challenge and visit all the national parks in Utah. That would include Arches National Park, Canyonlands National Park, which is my favorite, Capitol Reef National Park, Bryce Canyon National Park, and Zion National Park. Take those locations, map them out, and put together your own itinerary, whatever best suits you. With that, here's a bonus tip for those who seek to be more remote and away from crowds. The majority of visitors to southwestern Utah, they focus their efforts on the mighty five national parks that I just suggested. And for good reason. These parks are spectacular. That's why I suggested them. However, seasoned travelers and savvy locals know that fun southern Utah activities, remarkable scenery, and memorable adventures aren't limited to the national park boundaries. In fact, by stepping off the beaten path, many travelers have found their favorite memories were created in these hidden gems. Here are some parks that may leave you breathless, but are less likely to leave you standing in a line. Cedar Breaks National Monument, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, Lake Powell, and Coral Pink Sand Dune State Park. Now it's time for Waypoints. Waypoints. Waypoints will cover all aspects of navigation for the overland traveler. Navigation is the act or practicing of navigating. The method of determining position, course, and distance traveled. This week on Waypoints is a National Parks Spotlight. We'll be highlighting one of the lesser-known national parks that maybe you should make a waypoint on your next journey. Here's a question for you. What do Al Capone, National Parks, and Hot Springs have in common? Well, when most people think of national parks, geysers, canyons, and bison are probably what comes to mind. But Al Capone and Hot Springs? Not so much. That's part of what makes Hot Springs National Park a unique national park. You won't find any intimidating wildlife or skyscaping trees here. Hot Springs preserves other important facets of American history, both natural and man-made. Initially called the Hot Springs Reservation, the park technically predates Yellowstone as the first place in America to earn any type of federal protection, earning protection status back in 1832. It was a testament to the natural splendors of the area's thermal spring waters, which have been flowing off the mountain and billowing steam for thousands of years. Native American tribes, they revered the springs for their cleansing and their healing abilities. So much so that it became a sort of peaceful, neutral ground for all the tribes. In subsequent centuries, the hot springs were built up into a mecca of Gilded Age architecture, steaming water fountains and opulent bathhouses, drawing the likes of global dignitaries, professional athletes, and mobsters, including Al Capone, 
to soak in its famously rejuvenating thermal waters. Nowadays, while much of Hot Springs may look like a typical national park, it's one where history is on full display as a multi-sensory experience. Whether you're drinking it in or soaking it in, these spring waters initially fell as rain some 4,000 years ago, trickling 7,000 feet below the Earth's surface before boiling back up and re-emerging at a cool 147 degrees Fahrenheit. Visiting Hot Springs National Park is like taking a dip in American history. Not to mention, it's probably the only time we'll take National Park advice from a mobster. Well, that wraps up another episode of the podcast. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And with that, I want everyone to stay safe, tread lightly, and hopefully I'll see you here or on a trail soon. to put into words what rugby means to Kiwis. Being an all-back is mate, it's the, it's one of the best jobs in the world. It's a, it's a religion, to be fair. We want to be the best in the world it's at everything. The detail that we go into, even the micro detail of sort of a pass or a kick, makes the team function. I think when it comes to any type of machinery, require tool or the machinery to, to do its job. Just like we are required to do our job on the field. There's plenty of cogs that go into a good working team. You know, you have your management, you have your, your players. And I think it just comes back to individually doing everything you can to, to get the job done. You've got 15 guys on the field doing that. I can't control what someone else is doing. I've got to worry about what I can control and making sure I do it 100%. You've got to have slightly different game plans and slightly different tactics depending on who you're playing and, and the conditions. Even just in New Zealand, we're all probably used to playing some wet games in the South Island and then dry games as well, so you've got to be able to play in all sorts of conditions. What drives me is probably the competition against myself and against the opposition as well, just to continue to get better and be better. When it's time to flick that switch, you know, we're in the right mindset. Going out there and expressing myself and representing a team that I love playing for. I love the outdoors. I, I grew up on a, on a farm. My parents are farmers and even now I like to get out fishing. I think it's sort of a good escape for a lot of people. It's a big part of being a, a Kiwi growing up. I've got three, three kids, three boys, so I make sure they experience what I kind of did when I grew up. Nah, I love today. Like I haven't done too much forward driving, but I wouldn't mind getting my hands on one back in New Zealand. Even on the 4x4 tracks and stuff, it sort of feels bloody smooth pretty good looking vehicle and it's a bit of a beast once you sit in there. It was an awesome ride, really enjoyed it.